Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning, and it is a Thursday morning. We have been here all week at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and um, it has been such a great time to see uh, friends old and new, and in fact, one of uh, my dearest friends is sitting right across from me that you will hear from later on this hour for most of the hour, and of course, that's Dr. Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries in my former home state of Colorado, and we'll be talking about biblical worldview and culture, but first, I want to welcome my very special guest uh, off the top this morning, which is the Florida uh, Speaker of the House, Paul Renner, who has endorsed Governor Ron DeSantis for president. And of course, Governor DeSantis in a Twitter space last night uh, announced officially, finally, his candidacy for president of the United States. So uh, good morning, Speaker Renner. And uh, first off, what did you think of the medium of a Twitter space and the comments from uh, Governor DeSantis last night? Well, I missed him on Twitter. I was in a flight, but saw him on Trey Gowdy last night. I thought he was outstanding. And, of course, more importantly, I'm the guy that's probably worked more with Governor DeSantis along with President Pasadome on a, on a daily, weekly basis over the last several months. And I can just tell you, this is a guy with tremendous integrity, tremendous principle, and tremendous courage. And I think those are three things you've got to have as a great leader. You can be a leader, but you can't be a great one without all three, and he's got those in abundance. And that means a lot, I think, coming from you because, um, of course, as the Speaker of the House, you would be in a working in close proximity with the governor to get this agenda done. And a lot of people who are questioning whether Governor DeSantis is prepared, whether he can uh, lead the country, suggest that, you know, somehow he's not prepared and he can't be an executive. Uh, what would be your uh, take on his preparedness as a leader to work as president with a Congress? Well, I think uh, I'd point to one of the conservative think tanks here in Florida who called this last session the session of the century. And uh, he's a governor that gets things done. We were at dinner last night just talking about what would America look like if there weren't Florida. You know, there wouldn't be a lot of hope for conservatives on our side. It's just been so productive in what we've done to push back against the left. I, I said in my remarks after the session ended, that we stood up for children. We also defended childhood against a left that really wants to obliterate the distinction between adulthood and childhood. And so we, whether it's parental rights and some of the things that are coming into our schools that are just so offensive and so over the top, Governor DeSantis, knowing that it's extremely unpopular with the media, extremely unpopular with the left, people lose their minds. He's stood strong time and time again on issue after issue. There's just no better place to point to for conservatives than the state of Florida, and that starts and ends and begins with the governor. So, 
Yeah, and I'm so I'm speaking with uh, Florida Speaker of the House Paul Renner, and you make a really great point that um, over the last couple of years, if it were not for the free state of Florida, uh, then we wouldn't really have as much of a contrast, and conservatives might not have as much hope. And so, uh, one of the things that I personally was really impressed with the governor uh, in his Q and A last night was um, how much knowledge he had just of the U.S. Constitution, of the Executive Office, and he talked about studying the Florida State Constitution before getting in office. Um, He referred back to his time in Congress and the legislative abilities. And to me, that speaks very highly of someone who doesn't just want to uh, go on media to have, you know, kind of the trappings of the office or to go in being um, abusive of power, but really understanding what are the contours, what are the rules, and how can I uh, help genuinely serve the people that I represent. And has that been your experience uh, with him in terms of um, of his knowledge of the rules of office and the Constitution and there in the state of Florida? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm a full-spectrum conservative, as they say, and, and this is a governor who is the real deal. He's a true believer. He's extremely intelligent. I mean, it's remarkable that he was educated at Harvard and Yale and came out as conservative as he is, but he, he is the real, real deal. Um, from top to bottom, and he's got tremendous energy. What I've seen since the day he took office is he just doesn't stop. And, you know, we had a situation here in Florida where they, after a hurricane, they said it'll take six months to, to rebuild this causeway that, that cut off an island. And he said, that's ridiculous. And we did it in three days. I mean, that's leadership, and that's the kind of energy that he would bring to the White House. It's a leadership that we desperately, desperately need. The other thing I'd say, Jenna, though, about results is political results. You know, he won a close race in 2018, very close, 30,000 votes out of, out of 8 million. He won by almost 20 percent. No Republicans ever won by that much in the state of Florida. We took counties like Miami-Dade. We haven't taken in 20, 25 years. And so – if Republicans want to win, and I know we do want to win, then he's the right guy. And I can tell you, as uh, having run House campaigns during that cycle in 2022, we got him unprecedented support. So it wasn't just all about him. It was about it was about the whole team. He realizes that when it comes to the federal government, he needs a Congress, he needs a House and a Senate. And he'll be out there campaigning hard, not only for president, but also to make sure we have a strong, working, conservative majority to, to do things once he gets in office. And I guarantee you he will be collaborative, but he'll also be strong and make sure that we don't uh, deviate from what this country desperately, desperately needs. And that's what we're doing here in Florida uh, as applied to the country. And that's a really important point to underscore as well, how much uh, the, the down-ticket races matter and how much uh, taking back the Senate, the U.S. Senate and expanding the majority in the House really matters in 2024 as well, and how much the, the top name on the ticket can really affect that, not just in terms of campaigning, but even in turnout and then for people voting all the way down ticket. And I think people, uh, you're right, Speaker Renner, really uh, don't remember because it's been you know, a million news cycles ago how close we came to losing the free state of Florida and then how much in just one term, Governor DeSantis expanded uh, his leadership and a strong supermajority in Florida to then get things done over this legislative cycle. And um, to mirror that, and, and I would just ask you as well to, to, con- to contrast that between what we've seen over the last couple of election cycles on the federal level, a lot of people have attributed that um, to to President Trump as the um, really the leader of the Republican Party as, you know, the outgoing president and someone who has been 
uh, until now, the obvious frontrunner. And so how do you contrast their leadership styles from what you've observed working closely with uh, Governor DeSantis and then what you've observed um, just of President Trump's leadership style? Uh, you know, look, I, 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 there's plenty of people to criticize President Trump. I don't need to, but but uh, somebody uh, jokingly said that Ron DeSantis is, is is Trump without the bitter aftertaste or the Twitter, the, you know, the tweets and so forth. And I think that's probably true. But but he also, I think, is can win the suburbs. You know, people, we were at dinner last night again talking about how there are people that we need to win over. I mean, we can't we can't win the presidency with 48 percent. Uh, we've had we've been below 50 percent, not only not only in 2020, but in 2016, we were fortunate enough to narrowly, narrowly win the Electoral College. And we just can't be in that position. And I think Governor DeSantis um, can win all of the swing states that I just unfortunately, I don't think there's any reason to believe that that President Trump has gained uh, support since 2020. There are people that did not vote for him in 2020 that would vote for him next year. Ron DeSantis can get people who are independents, even soft Democrats, who look and say, um, he's led. He's led on COVID, keeping Florida open. He makes me feel safe. You know, we had a woke prosecutor down here who just said, hey, I'm not going to follow laws I don't like. He removed him. And, and most Republican governors around the state would not have that kind of courage. So he's got all the courage of a President Trump, but but has the appeal to people that we must have to win. And so I think the important point is you have now uh, in the same person. Normally, the argument about electability is for somebody that conservatives have to hold our nose and vote for because that's our only choice. In this election, we have both in one person, and that's Ron DeSantis. He is the movement, conservative, principled, courageous, has integrity, great father, great husband. And at the same time, he, uh, he, gets, he gets things done and, and, uh, and can win uh, in the suburbs and in places where we need to win in swing states to make sure that we not only carry the White House, but the win of the House, win the Senate. Uh, we had a real disappointment in 2022, and I think part of that was – you know, what people perceive the brand to be. And in Florida, you saw us as an outlier. We had a massive red wave, more than expected in Florida. And that's because the brand is associated with Ron DeSantis. And so I want to say to people that are listening that are not in Florida is that we can bring that to America. We can bring that kind of victory. And look at what we've done in our voter registration. We've gone from two or 300,000 Democrats when he took office, more than Republicans, to I think over 400,000 Republicans uh, over Democrats. It's been a huge swing, six, 700,000 registered voters that have swung to the Republicans. Some of that is persuasion. Some of that they've seen the difference in how the, how the Democratic Party has gone far to the left. And they see Ron DeSantis as a, as a guy who delivers results, uh, not only for conservatives, but on, on bipartisan issues like Everglades restoration, environmental issues, uh, transportation. He's, he's just led on issue after issue that matters to voters and makes people's lives better. And, and I think, Speaker Renner, um, you're such a great advocate for him and his leadership in your endorsement, uh, because I appreciate that you, your contrast with uh, President Trump is not um, disparaging of the candidate that you don't prefer. And I think that uh, but rather highlighting and advocating uh, rationale and reasons for the candidate that you do prefer. And, you know, for uh, for all of the people listening, I mean, that has really been, I think, the best approach in the primary, because we're all very thankful for what President Trump did accomplish. But we're also looking in into the future. And we do need to choose the best person to represent conservatism in the general election that can take this country back and can continue uh, to promote conservative values. And so 
um, I think that's a really important uh, way that um, that we answer some of these questions. And so I really appreciate you joining me today. And the last question that I have for you, sir, is uh, what do you expect knowing Governor DeSantis from um, all of the media, obviously, they're, I've seen the headlines this morning that are trying to focus on, you know, the Twitter glitch instead of his brilliance in answering the q and I mean, the actual substance, that's going to be the media. And so um, do you see him changing his tone at all or continuing to, in my view, be really effective by not really having to answer everything in the media? I mean, that's kind of Trump world. And he's, he has on purpose taken that contrast. Do you see that continuing? Yeah, he's not a he's not a guy that has his finger in the air to see where the wind blows. And you saw that in COVID. You know, he was vilified, if you remember, that he was going to be responsible for people's death. They called him Death Santis during COVID. And it turns out he was completely right because he read the, the real science. And I remember talking with him about this and pointing out that people, uh, you know, in Europe, that, that in Scandinavia that had a different approach and just protected the vulnerable had no difference in death rates and so forth than, than those that had extreme lockdowns. He led based on on uh, reason and science and leadership and not uh, based upon, you know, what the media said this morning in terms of how he governed himself in the afternoon. That is not Rod DeSantis. And so he's going to continue to be uh, that principled guy. And what I would point people to is if you if you want to see America come back, if you want a guy who's got all the courage of a President Trump, but has the he has the integrity and the principles and and everything that goes with it and can deliver political results up and down the ballot. And I didn't mention the school board races he he helped us win. Uh, we've got our guy. Uh, he is he is a, a young Ron. We had another Ron uh, that was a great president, a Republican president, and I think he's going to lead us back to a landslide victory next November. But we have to win. We have to have a strong fifty percent plus win up and down the ballot, and Ron DeSantis is the one to deliver it. Well, Florida Speaker of the House, Paul Renner, thank you so much for your insights and uh, for talking about your experience with Governor DeSantis. Really appreciate it, and I hope as the campaign continues and you continue to have the wins in Florida, you'll join us again. Uh, Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Jenna. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. God bless. Well, uh, so in just the last minute or so that we have in this segment, I, I, I just did also want to underscore my uh, personal thought about the Twitter space last night. I was very excited to uh, to see Governor DeSantis take that new uh, medium and actually reach out to people who would never have tuned in to cable news otherwise. It was a little glitchy, but of course the mainstream media is going to focus on that instead of substance. There was substance in the Q&A. There was substance that you just know he knows the Constitution. The only critique that I had was that he seemed to be reading his opening statement, which in that kind of forum doesn't didn't really come across as authentic as I've heard him speak before, as he spoke with me here on Monday. But, you know, we can all get past that. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. And I think as we move forward, we as Christian conservatives need to look at President Trump and Governor DeSantis and hope that as they continue to fight for the nomination as really the top two, I hope that they don't fight each other personality-wise. I hope they fight to see who has the best conservative agenda for the country. So we'll be right back with Dr. Jeff Myers here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Here's Ellis Craft of Reach a Village Ministries. Olga's neighbors shared Jesus with her as a child. Her father became a Christian first, but she refused to believe. Everything changed for her when the Ukraine war came to her doorstep in 2022. 
the fear of death and uncertainty of eternity overwhelmed her, and she finally asked God to forgive her sins and save her. Your gift will be doubled today to help reach children like Olga. We need some large gifts here at the end of the campaign to reach our goal of 60,000 children reached. $100 will reach 200 children. $500 would reach 1,000 children. To give, I want you to go to reachavillage.org or call 833-7-REACH-7. Again, to call Reach a Village, I want you to call 833-7-REACH-7. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Brad Crabtree, Assistant Secretary of Energy for Fossil Energy and Carbon Management. He oversees the development of environmentally sound energy technologies and manages our nation's strategic petroleum reserve. Ephesians 6-7 reminds us of the importance of working hard, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask you to guide Brad Crabtree in his work developing and managing our nation's energy resources. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash starnes. The NAACP is warning people of color to avoid Florida. They say the Sunshine State is openly hostile towards African Americans, people of color, and gays. Now, that's pretty ironic, seeing how the state has several prominent minority lawmakers, including Senator Marco Rubio and Congressman Byron Donalds. One activist actually called Florida a terrorist state. The great irony is Leon Russell, the chairman of the NAACP, lives in Tampa. Maybe President Biden could dispatch the National Guard to evacuate Mr. Russell and his family safely out of the state. No doubt the NAACP's warning has thrown a wrench in the vacation plans of many Americans. But this commentary is all about finding solutions. If Florida is too dangerous for black families, maybe they would be more comfortable summering in Detroit or Portland, Oregon or Memphis. Just be sure to pack plenty of sunscreen and a Kevlar vest. I'm Todd Starnes. To read more about this story, go to ToddStarnes.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we are at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and I am so delighted to uh, welcome my very good friend, Jeff Myers, who is uh, the president, I believe, of Summit Ministries, and um, just a wonderful author and a worldview expert in terms of dissecting and really rightly dividing truth from error, as we're admonished in Scripture to do. And um, for those of you who don't know, I was a graduate of Summit Ministries when I was 16, and so I have been um, immersed in the understanding of why worldview matters from a young age. And um, Dr. Jeff has really been a great mentor to me in being able to better speak 
uh, truth and the biblical worldview into culture. And um, I've been blessed to be faculty of Summit Ministries teaching um, about the biblical worldview of law in our Constitution and in culture. And so, um, Dr. Jeff, thanks so much for being here today. Jenna, it's great to be with you. It's fun to be in Orlando at the National Religious Broadcasters event, but it's especially fun to be on your show because you were a Summit Ministries student back in the day, and you've done such an amazing job bringing a biblical worldview understanding to bear in the field of law. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, it's it's just been amazing how God has continued to open those doors. And it's so important that we continue to advocate for truth against the every wind of false doctrine of the day. And that's your new book, which is Exposing the Gender Lie. And I think if we asked uh, the average Christian who is who is knowledgeable about things of culture, what is the biggest lie today, we would immediately think of the LGBT agenda because it's so in your face, whether it's Target, whether it's the Bud Light advertising, you know, whatever it is, it seems that this particular thing about the confusion of gender is the lie that the left and and ultimately um, Satan is trying to use in culture. Why is that? Why are we so fixated on that in culture? Well, there's a perfect storm of ideology taking place right now. And when we think about I'm, – I'm specifically focusing on the transgender movement, Jenna, uh, because it is different in a way. When you say to someone, you've been born in the wrong body, you're not just saying there's something wrong with your body. You're saying your body itself as a unit is actually wrong. It, and and why would people even say that? Well, it's ultimately an attack on reality itself. I mean, at Summit Ministries, as you know, we're focused on training young leaders who embrace God's truth and champion a biblical worldview. We don't usually pick out topics in the culture and say, we're going to really dig in on this one. But transgender, we have to, because it's ultimately an attack on truth. So you've got the postmodern influence. You have an industry that realizes they can make billions of dollars off of gender insecure people, especially especially minors. And then you have an ideology driven through the universities that says that the bi- anything that is binary we must be torn down. There must be no difference between true or false or good or evil or male or female. And the popular culture is embracing this and pushing it along. And then, of course, corporations also do- are doing it because they believe they can boost their DEI scores if they put a picture of a hairy man wearing a bra. Yeah, which is just so disgusting. I'm glad to see that uh, Bud Light is really losing out on that, and they're having to uh, Anheuser Busch is having to buy back all of this expired beer that nobody wants anyway. I mean, it, it's a great way that we are seeing in real time some pushback. But I love Dr. Jeff what how you just um, contrasted this this concept of the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and that calculation with how the the left and the culture is trying to say whatever you feel on this spectrum, like there's some kind of spectrum instead of a an actual difference between men, women, right, wrong, good, evil, you know, some of these concepts. And and it's purposefully trying to insert vagueness into terms, right? Yes, that's exactly the right way to put it. The confusion, as my co-author Brandon Showalter, who's an investigative journalist, says, the confusion is a feature, not a bug of the postmodern project. So when you hear things like queer theory and you think, what on earth is that? What you should think of is an attempt to break down any sense of what is right or what is wrong. Any ability to even discover 
what is right or what is wrong. Obviously, we have to seek the truth. That's what scripture says. It doesn't just, you know, bring itself to your front door like DoorDash. You have to actually go look for it and study and work hard at it. Uh, but, but it is available to us. Well, the postmodern worldview says, no, it isn't. There's no, there's no way anybody can actually access reality. All you have are your own truths. So if people stop seeking the truth and just start saying, I'm going to speak my truth. So mm-hmm. anyone who's heard that language is realizing there's an intentional project taking place right now in this country to try to tear down the one last biologically obvious difference, which is the fact that humans are dimorphic, that we're male or female, and that our chromosomes are stamped XX or XY. That cannot be changed. You cannot use medicine to become the opposite sex. And then that sex binary, as you mentioned, um, is, is hugely important. I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit more about that because that's a really, really big point. Yes, yes. And and just on the binary as well, and, and as you're talking about discovering truth, I mean, that's as C.S. Lewis talks about in Mere Christianity. I mean, the, the knowledge of God and the ability to discover him in the reality of the universe that we're presented, if the culture is trying to take away this reality that truth is discoverable, then we are left to our own feelings. And then who interprets our feelings? Well, now the experts, right? So all of these people who are indoctrinated into gender ideology and queer theory, then for all of these so-called confused people, where do they turn? Well, to all these people that then tell them, this is how you feel. Let me explain that. And so we have this rapidly rising generation that is now beholden to the expert class that is telling them, go get all of these surgeries, go be, um, have your uh, entire presence that, that is completely dependent on medication for life, and you're now a consumer of the pharmaceutical industry. And as they're buying into that lie, then they're, they can be misled so easily. Yeah, you've tapped into something that's it's huge. I don't think very many people really, really see this coming together quite yet. But yes, you're you're exactly right. So there are a lot, almost all young people at some point experience discomfort in their body as they go through puberty. That is completely normal. Uh, what we've also seen, especially since COVID, a significant rise in anxiety levels, depression levels, suicidal ideation, a significant rise. 75% of young adults say they, they do not have a sense of purpose that gives meaning to their lives. When you see all of these things happening, you will often see what's now labeled gender dysphoria among the comorbidities, okay? But the culture is saying, because the industry benefits financially from this and the ideology gets power out of this, they're saying, we're going to start with that, okay? We're not going to start with resolving your childhood trauma. We're going to start with uh, this gender thing because we can make an enormous amount of money off of you by promising a biological lie, which is that you can change from one to the other. Wow. And, and it's just, and, and I, I hope that as people are listening to this, they're recognizing that this isn't just some kind of um, top level thing that, okay, we can turn off the advertising, we cannot purchase the beer, we can ignore Target, and, and, and then it won't harm us. This is so much more pervasive than that because we are raising a generation that believes that if if the sex binary and the truth of our own bodies as we can observe and discover ourselves is not based in fact, then what else is? 
well, I don't mean to be conspiratorial about it, but if you can get children to look at one another and say there is no difference between a boy or a girl, you can convince them of anything. They become the perfect targets of propaganda. In the book, we quote Voltaire, who said, surely, if you can convince people of absurdities, you can convince them to commit atrocities. Mm, yeah, and and we have seen even recently some of those things, and yeah. um, and even as recent as you know the summer of the mostly peaceful protests, you know of of convincing people to fear each other biologically through COVID. Um, that that to me was one of the weirdest experiences. Was that we started to as a culture and a society view each other not as human beings made in the image of God, but as contagions that were just their mere presence a threat. And and that really diminished the humanity of each other. And so this type of thing, and, and the book is Exposing the Gender Lie uh, by Dr. Jeff Myers and also Brandon Showalter, um, who's a great writer for the Christian Post, also a dear friend of mine. Um, This has the worldview underpinnings and why this is so pervasive in culture and and the um, the understanding the ideology that is false. That is what Christians listening to this show really need to understand about this, not just looking at, you know, the purple haired leftists and going, okay you're a little crazy, but I can ignore you in the confines of my church. I think that's really a a huge danger here as well. Yeah, that's right. We're we're not focused on the stereotypes here. The 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 secular progressive postmodern worldview says it's it's a spectrum. You have extreme masculinity on one side, extreme femininity on the other. And if you are a girl who doesn't like girly things, then maybe you're actually a boy. Okay, You just slide across that spectrum. The biology says and the theology says there are two spectra. There is the spectra of male and female. And some males are interested in football. Some males are interested in music. Some females are interested in uh, you know, working in forests, and some are interested in uh, fashion. So, it, it, so we have to move beyond the stereotypes and recognize: no, we're made male or female. That's part of God's design for us. We're meant to harmonize with one another. And the idea of sliding back and forth on a spectrum is based on a lie that's an unproven theory, and it is messing up kids like you would not believe. Mm. And and we were speaking um, just shortly before the, the program about um, a clip that Brandon, your co-author, actually showed me the other night um, that is, a I think, a four-year-old boy who is already well-versed in this gender transition surgery and at four years old was able to very precisely articulate that. And that is how young these children are, are listening to this. And I mean, would that come from someone like the parents or is that just from teachers? I mean, I can't imagine, and I can, but I mean, I think it's horrific that parents, some parents would even be teaching their children as young as four. Here's an uncomfortable thing about uh, modern parenting. There are a lot of parents who have their children as a vanity project. Okay, mm. It's not about raising up the next generation. It's all about them. And, of course, clothing companies take advantage of this. Your your child can't wear $50 worth of clothes. Your child has to wear $900 worth of clothes. And and a lot of parents seem to be so obsessive compulsive about this. Like their little boy says, I want to try on a dress. And they're like, okay, so my boy is now a girl, and I'm going to email all of my friends and tell them my son has transitioned, and then we're going to go to a psychiatrist, and we're going to do all of these things. 
and, and you're just thinking, you know what? Just let this child be a child. Mm-hmm. Don't try to control them and put them your, in your image. But this is what's happening. I was visiting with somebody last night who said, in my town, this is in California, um, which will make sense when you hear the rest of the story. She said, in my town, having a child who is transgender is a status symbol. It's like driving a Range Rover or having a Sub-Zero refrigerator in your house. It's a status symbol. So parents are pushing their kids into this, thinking they're being enlightened in the process, and they're denying their children a normal childhood and playing into – they're actually enshrining the very stereotypes they say they're trying to tear down. And, and Dr. Jeff, one of the really important things that you just said was that they are – these parents – as a vanity project, are trying to make their children into their own image. I mean, this is then basically a God substitute, it right? Is, and yeah. and you actually have a, a paragraph, as I was scanning um, your book as well, talking about um, some of the transhumanism uh, types of worldviews yeah. that are coming in. The movement even co-ops God, right? And and I'm I'm putting these pieces together saying, okay, this is now uh, the parent that is saying, we we want to have, and, and even to the point that we have um, doctors that are saying we're going to give you ways to gender select before birth, which, okay, if, if we have gender identity, I'm not sure how that works, but even things like you can choose the hair and eye color of your child, and basically this has become commoditizing children instead of recognizing the unique um, image of God that every human being is created in. We know that companies that sell products commoditize children. That's not new. What's new is that parents are actively participating in the process. And part of it, Jenna, I think is the the culture has moved away from a play-based childhood to a screen-based childhood. And so even parents now are comparing themselves and their children to images they see in social media which are, of course, people's self-selected, edited images of themselves. Uh, but if you, if you decide you're going to stop worshiping God, you will worship something. Some people worship money. Some people worship power. Some people worship their own self-image. It's mm-hmm. important for our children to never forget they are made in God's image. Yes. They're not just in the image of their parents who are fallible and make mistakes and can be obsessive and weird about things. <laughs> They're made in the image of Almighty God, who is always faithful and always true. Mm, so well said. And I'm, I'm reminded of, of an old television show that has now been canceled by culture, um, you know, Friends, which um, as, as two of the characters there were, were wanting to have kids, they're like, I just can't wait to screw you up in our own special little ways. And I just thought, <laughs> if that's not the, the declaration of fallibility of parents. I don't know what is. And and I always laughed at that. But um, we'll be back with more with Dr. Jeff Myers. The book is Exposing the Gender Lie, How to Protect Children and Teens from the the Transgender Industry's False Ideology. Uh, Exposing the Gender Lie. This is so important. And we have to make sure that we as Christians understand this ideology. We understand why it's false so that then we can go out and speak truth in culture and to continue to promote the person of truth that is God. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. 
I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt, I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. No one likes to suffer difficult circumstances. In this era of easy believism, it's often conveyed, if life isn't always smooth, we're doing something wrong. The scripture teaches us, however, that our Lord often meets fruitful branches with additional pruning. The pruning is not punishment. It's actually to make us even more fruitful. If you're in a rough spot right now, take heart. What may feel like the squeeze to end all squeezes could very well be the Lord's pruning for additional fruitfulness. When the Lord prunes us, he does so for our good. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. God made his design for marriage and family absolutely clear. Unfortunately, Satan has a totally opposite view. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023 wants to restore God's plan. July 6th through the 8th at the Cadence Bank Arena and Conference Center in Tupelo, Mississippi. Strengthen your marriage and your family with Abraham Hamilton III. Having been made members of his eternal family, we now have a responsibility to consider how to stir one another up. George Barna. You cannot say there's a one-size-fits-all approach in ministry. If you've got a church of a thousand people, you have a thousand different stories, hurts, fears, doubts. Dr. Lee Brand. People gather together in buildings with steeples on top and crosses out front and never mention the name of Jesus, and that's sad. And many more. The Youth Apologetics track is back as well. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023, for His glory alone. Register today at marriagefamilylife.net. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning, and I'm talking with my good friend Dr. Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries and his brand new book, Exposing the Gender Lie, How to Protect Children and Teens from the Transgender Industry's False Ideology, and he has co-written this with Brandon Showalter of the Christian Post, and um, you've actually made this book available for free, Dr. Jeff. Um, So what is that URL that people can go to? You can go to summit.org slash protect. And download a copy of the book, Exposing the Gender Lie. We just believed the subject was so important that we didn't uh, – we just wanted it to be able to be downloaded, and that way you can forward it. 
Mm. So people have forwarded it. In fact, members, uh, there are 30 members of Congress who've taken a couple of senators who've taken this and begun to act on it. Several different state legislators have, have taken this. I know several entire legislatures in several states have actually gotten a hold of the book and begun to use it. And, and now we're, we're kind of in a neat spot where 18 states have said we are highlighting the way the transgender industry and ideology are attacking gender insecure people, especially minors, and we're not going to stand for it. Yeah, that is so great. And that is such a great idea to forward this on to uh, the people who have authority in our government to do something about this. And um, and I have the, the hard uh, copy right here. And, and it's not that big. So for people who are saying, well, a legislator wouldn't really have time or I may not have time. I mean, this is a very short volume and it's packed full of truth and, and almost like the explanation of the bullet points. I mean, so this is very easily consumable for people who want to genuinely understand this. And so, Dr. Jeff, we've been talking about the lie of transgenderism and the lie of gender ideology and that it is false. But what is then the biblical worldview of gender and sexuality and our human bodies? Because I think we have to also not just call out falsity, but we have to all be very, um, very centered that we know and can speak the actual truth. That's right. Well, the, your audience, AFR, is, is very well focused on Scripture. And understanding of Scripture, has, they've spent a long, long time studying Scripture. I admire the audience that you have for your show. Me but too. Th- there are several things <laughs> that we have in Scripture that are amazing. The first one is just that male and female, This is so it's biological, but it's also theological. And you see it in Genesis chapter 1. God made them, people, in his image. Male and female, he made them. Male and female name basic physical and spiritual categories that are created by God. That's an important thing to understand. This is not just our biology we're talking about. There's something about our biology that causes us to think and act in certain ways that, that as we develop together as a society become really significant. It is important to have men who are willing to to stand for truth and fight against evil and injustice and be warriors and defenders and protectors and use their testosterone for a positive purpose rather than a negative one. And it's important for uh, for for women to have the opportunity to breathe life into society and not just bearing children, but we're talking about just being life givers and breathing life into other people. You know, Jenna, there have been thousands of studies now on the differences between men and women in the workplace. These are not done by conservative Christian right-wingers. I mean, this is just general social science research, thousands of studies. And they show that what men and women are focused on in the workplace, those things are different. They're complementary to one another. They harmonize with one another. But that's a really significant thing to understand. And I think uh, scripture gives us a lot of wise guidance about how we live that out. And, and that's what we see throughout the book of Genesis and the book of Proverbs. You see it. Uh, you see it in the New Testament as well. How are we as men and women to relate to one another in a way that makes both of us stronger? Mm. And I think, Dr. Jeff, that's a very important point to highlight as well, because our bi- our biology doesn't just end with, OK, well, male and female. And then how we behave in society is completely the same, and we should be able to recognize men in society and recognize women and contributions to society, attitudes. I mean, biblical masculinity, biblical femininity are all aspects and attributes 
of what uh, of how we live out our faithfulness um, to the Lord and how He made us. But a lot of people would suggest that you know that's just um, a cultural phenomenon, and what defines masculinity versus femininity is really just dependent on the culture, and um, that's not really anything that we can solidly go back and say as part of discoverable truth. So how do we answer that from a biblical perspective? Well, it's important to understand how the biology and the theology intertwine together. Uh, Some of our allies in talking about the transgender industry and ideology have been secular, atheistic biologists because they recognize that the, the biology actually brings forth certain things in life. Let me give you just a quick example. Okay, in, in, we have, in our eyes, we have two kinds of cells. We have rods and cones. Rods are the kinds of cells that focus on um, um, motion and contrast. Cones are the kinds of cells that focus on color and texture. Okay? Boys have a preponderance of rods, and girls have a preponderance of cones. Our very eyes are designed in such a way that boys are much more likely to focus on contrast and motion. Girls are more likely to focus on color and texture. Mm. Well, then you think about how that affects every single day you live. What you focus on then becomes a bigger and bigger part of your life. Mm-hmm. So sometimes stereotypes end up being generated but, uh, from, from the biological aspects but we can't then say, well, those stereotypes then are the new absolutes. No, right. it's, it's, the bio, it's the biological process. When I took my children to church, I would give them colored pencils so they could have something to do while they were sitting in big church and, and listening. And my boys only needed two colors. They needed black and red. They needed black to make a, pictures, a picture of the tank and the airplanes and then red to show the blood spurting out of the people <laughs> who are inside the tanks and the airplanes. And meanwhile, my daughters were using all of the other colors to make flowers Flowers. and and people (laughs) and pictures of their family and things like that. And now, so say a boy decides he wants to make flowers. Fine. That's perfect. You know, there are great artists throughout history who make beautiful pictures and they are every bit the male God designed them to be. And they have an appreciation of beauty that is special and unique. Mm -hmm. Only in a stereotyped sort of obsessive world, would that not be okay? Only in a very stereotyped, strange environment would you say, well, uh, you made a picture of a field of flowers. Maybe you're actually a girl. Maybe you're born in the wrong body. That is stupidity at the highest level. And yet when children are surrounded by this in school all day long, it's, it's very hard for them to resist it. I had a student reach out recently and say, you know, I, I think I would be transgender by now because I'm a girl uh, who's, who doesn't really enjoy girly things. And people are telling me all the time, maybe you're a boy born in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. And the- I, I remember, uh, I think it was Bill Meyer who said, you know, I wanted to be a pirate when I was five. And I'm really glad that my parents didn't, you know, chop off my leg and give me a peg <laughs> leg and a hook for a hand. You know, I mean, it's like at what point do, do parents say this is fantasy uh, and this is just participation in discovery? of adventure and storytelling and other things. But I also find it really interesting in your uh, in your story about, you know, the flowers versus, you know, the the um, the men who, and already my little nephews who are four, they love the trucks and the engines and the, you know, all this and the noises, you know, and then my little niece, she's not making, you know, noises with trucks, right? And, and nobody had to tell them that. That's just how they're developing what they're noticing about the world around them. But at the same time, well, you know, if one of my nephews said, oh, I want to draw flowers, and a parent would say, oh, well, then, 
you know, maybe that means that you're a girl. Well, that very same society is telling us we shouldn't be stereotyping. So it's this convoluted circular reasoning anyway. Yes. You end up with children who are in what psychologists call a double bind, where they have to simultaneously be, believe two opposite things about themselves. And when, when you put someone in a double bind, the original studies were done on puppies, actually. They would, they would be in a little box. They would get shocked if they're on one side, so they would jump over a little wall. And then they found that they would get shocked on the other side. When they realized no matter where they go, they're going to be shocked, they just give up. Wow. And in and, and humans, what, what happens is people, people give up and they fall into mental illness. The mental illness is actually a protective mechanism against something impossible. Now, I am not suggesting here that parents who are concerned about gender issues are somehow uh, making their children mentally ill. But we need to be super careful. These are children. They're still developing. They are in a process of exploring. We do not want to label them, enshrine certain stereotypes, and then force them into a certain direction while they're just curious about the world. Yeah, and, and that raises such an important point as well. I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Myers, and the book is Exposing the Gender Lie. And, and give the URL one more time. It's Summit, Summit Ministries. Summit.org. Oh, summit, just Summit.org. Summit.org slash protect. You can download this book, Exposing the Gender Lie, for free and then forward it to other people. You know, I sent it to my member of Congress. You know who he sent it to? Our school board members. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, yeah, you sent it to me and that's fine and I'll read it and I'll spread it around. But at the local level, yeah. the school board needs to see this. That's so important. And, 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 and what I'm seeing as well with some of these just horrific um, images of people who have gone through uh, horrific gender surgeries and mutilations and other things younger and now we're starting to get the adults who are recognizing that um, this type of false ideology was pushed onto them and in some instances I mean with kids as young as six and nine I mean they didn't choose this for themselves and so how do we as the church and society become equipped to deal with the fallout of what is rapidly going to become more and more victims of the transgender ideology. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're on exactly the right track. I've always said that there are two things the church is responsible for at this point in time. We must tell the truth and we must be ready to deal with the, the hurt people who've believed the lies. So we tell the truth by, by looking at what this gender ideology says and how to respond from a biblical worldview. But the fallout, I think, largely is asking what's really happening here. So when I meet a young person who says, I don't really know, I don't really relate to being a boy, but I have a boy body, you know, what do I do? My, my first question is, what happened to you that causes you to feel the way you do? In my experience, Jenna, and I'm not saying this as a therapist, I'm saying this just as someone who's worked with thousands of young people, there's always a comorbidity of some sort, usually depression or anxiety, something like that, that's very severe, that goes along with this gender dysphoria. And if you trace that back, uh, an uncomfortable amount of the time, it's, it is related to an unresolved childhood trauma. So it could be an early exposure to pornography, an actual sexual assault that the child has endured, sexual abuse, maybe the divorce of, a, of parents. Uh, the death of a loved one can actually exacerbate childhood trauma. So if you say, well, we're going to treat this by giving you puberty blockers, it's like giving 
it's like giving Tylenol to someone who's have has a hemorrhage in their brain that uh, they have a headache, but giving Tylenol does not actually address the issue. You have to go back and look at the unresolved childhood trauma. So there may be a significant role for biblical counseling here. And there is a, there, and we have to be careful too, but there's a difference between good biblical counseling and just someone who is a Christian who's had psychological training. Yes. We need to be prepared to have people who will help children deal with these unresolved traumas, be set free from them, and then find the meaning in Christ and, and their own sense of significance as an image bearer of God. When that happens, 75 to sometimes up to 95% of the time, the gender dysphoria resolves by the time the child reaches the end of puberty. Wow. And I mean, it just goes to show you that the Bible has the answers to deal with the human condition and the problems of our mind and our heart and the way that we understand the world and the way we deal with sin. And and this is where I, I think what you said was perfect, that we can't just be Christians who employ secular methods and um, psychological methods that would just perpetuate all of these theories in, in a way that is not actually solving the problem. We need to address these problems with truth and not just mask the symptoms either or continue to affirm. I mean, people say, well, if I don't call you by your pronouns and I'm not being loving, well, it is not loving to affirm a lie and to continue continue to allow these people to con- to continue to experience um, the victimization of sin and their own um, not understanding of what's happening uh, within their own worldview. And this is why worldview training is so important. So in just the last like two minutes we have with you here, Dr. Jeff, and there's so much more I could always talk to you about, um, the book is Exposing the Gender Lie. And um, tell me also about Summit Ministries, because this is a, a place for students that can go and actually confront all of the major false worldviews, but also get um, training in understanding the biblical worldview and to encounter and even just recognize, wait a minute, that's a false that's a false worldview, and I can confront that with truth. Yes. Well, up to 70% of young people who are significantly involved in church in their high school years are no longer even attending church by the time they reach their mid-20s. And the message of Summit Ministries is that walking away is not inevitable. You can help your children develop an unshakable faith, and we can help you. So we host two-week-long courses that are that involve all of the fun things like whitewater rafting and rock climbing, along with instruction to help young adults deal with their most difficult questions about their faith so they can develop confidence. These two-week programs are in the listening area of, of who, the people who are listening to us right now. One is in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is right next to Colorado Springs. The other one is in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. And in these two-week programs, profound change takes place. Yes, and, and I was one of those who went through as a graduate, and when I was confronted with false ideologies in law school, I had the answers. So thank you, Dr. Jeff, and we will be back with more uh, here on Jenna Ellis in the morning tomorrow morning, the last day at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. I'll see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.